Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Get Dressed. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Nora, for reading our scripture today. Well, at the end of each college semester, Diane and I had different routines of dealing with final exams. We were married students at the time, and as she would head out of the apartment to sit for final exams, she would be dressed up in a brightly colored dress with her hair and makeup all done, and I would walk out of the apartment in ragged jeans, flip-flops, a t-shirt, a ball cap over tussled hair. I said tussled hair. (laughs) Now, We were each dealing with the stresses of final exams, but in different ways. She dressed up like she was going to the exam, like that was her favorite thing. And I dressed like I didn't really care what I did on the final exam. The way we each dressed worked for each of us. I graduated cum laude, she graduated summa cum laude, so I guess her process was a little better than mine. But but here's the thing. In the passage that Nora read to us, the Apostle Paul tells us how to dress for success. We're in a study through Paul's letter to the Colossians and we're calling this series Next Level Living because everything we find in the letter to the Colossians can get us to the next level from the one we're on. The next level in our understanding of Jesus, the next level in our understanding of how to follow Jesus. And as we get to this part of the letter, Paul tells us how to get to the next level in our relationships. And so the last half of Colossians chapter 3 He talks about your relationships in the church and your relationships in the home and your relationships at work. And so today and next week, we'll see what these verses in the last half of Colossians chapter 3 tell us about getting along at church. And then we'll get to some verses that talk about how to get along in the home. And then we'll look at some verses that tell us how to get along at work. In today's verses, he talks about how we should relate to each other as fellow believers. Notice how he, what he calls us here. He refers to us in exalted terms. He calls us God's chosen people, holy and beloved. Chosen, holy, and beloved. He calls us chosen. God picked us for his team. Not because of any automatic worth he found in us. He brought worth to us by picking us for his team. Uh, Jesus said at one point, I 
chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear much fruit. So we are chosen. We are holy. That word tells us uh, what we are as well as what we should be. It tells us what we already are. We are holy because of what Jesus did for us. On the cross, he took away our sin, cleansing us, making us holy. But because we are holy, we must be holy. The Spirit is within our lives right now, moving us along toward Christian maturity, greater and greater holiness. So we are chosen, we are holy, and we are beloved. God's fond of you. You don't always feel that way, do you? But God is fond of you. He likes you. As Max Lucado famously said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. And that's something that we need to keep in mind. We are beloved not because of what we do or try to do for God. And we don't lose that beloved status because of what we fail to do for God. He loves us. And it's in that context of love that we're able to do all the other things that God expects us to do, including the things that we're looking at today. Now, the most important uh, word he uses to describe us is not chosen or holy or beloved, as important as all those words. What I want you to notice is the word people. Would you circle that in your Bible or in your notes as God's chosen people? He does not write in this verse, therefore, as God's chosen person, here's what I want you to do individually. But he said, therefore, as God's chosen people, here's what I want you to do together. We, uh, it's always been a challenge to stay involved in a church. It's always been a challenge to uh, encourage people to stay involved in a church, but it's just doubly so these days. And we need to remember that there are so many places in the Bible that we're never going to be able to fulfill unless we're together with God's people. Carmen Renee Berry uh, wrote a book called The Unauthorized Guide to Choosing a Church. She wrote the book after a long, long stretch of not being involved in a church at all. She was sort of made to go to church, I guess, when she was a kid. She dropped out when she was an adult. But then she had a friend who had allowed herself to get more and more isolated to the point that she finally committed suicide. And Renee, Carmen Renee Berry said, when a friend committed suicide, I realized that I too could become too cynical, too lost, too alone. I needed a church, a community of believers. Something happens there that simply doesn't when you are alone in prayer or on on the internet. My faith is enhanced and enlarged when in relationship to other less than perfect human beings. Now she wrote that some years ago, but it's still applicable in this setting, in this day and age today. But now most of us know that um, it's one thing to say we need each other, and it's another thing to actually be together. We can have this really romantic notion of the importance of being together in a church until you actually get together with other flawed human beings. I'm sure you've run across that poem together uh, 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 before. It says, to live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. To live here below with those we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) The reality is that it's not a romantic thing. It's a difficult thing to work together with other people. And so Paul says that in order to get along with each other, there are certain things our soul needs to wear like clothing, compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and love. Listen, you only have two choices as a Christian. You can avoid 
any risk of conflict by not being involved at all with kingdom activities. Or you can risk conflict by serving together in the kingdom of God. Those are your only two choices. If you're going to be involved in kingdom activity at all, that means you are going to rub shoulders with people who rub you the wrong way sometimes. You know, uh, for over 40 years, Gene Chapel served on staff at this church, and he had a lot of what we called Gene-isms when we were on staff. A lot of you remember Gene. He's retired now. He's living in Hamilton. But you remember his Gene-isms, I imagine. And one of the things that really stuck with me is a phrase he used from time to time, you've got to let people do their people things. That's a genism. But it, it, it in an odd way, has guided my life for uh, these last uh, uh, couple of decades or so of my life serving here at this church. You've got to let people do their people things. What are some people things that we all do? Well, some people things that we all do is unforgiveness or incompetence, or competing priorities, or miscommunication. We've got to let people do their people things. How do we do that? Well, that's where verses 12 through 14 come in. Paul says that if we're going to get to the next level in our church relationships, we have to practice certain things. Just as people see clothing on our bodies, people need to see certain characteristics and qualities on our souls. You know, when I'm preparing for a funeral, sometimes an adult son or daughter will hand me some tattered piece of paper that they found in their mother's Bible and say, will you read this at the funeral service? And I'm always honored to do so. Here was something that was given to me and I used at a funeral service some years back. And it's so meaningful. This woman had it in her Bible for a lot of years. Uh, it said, one of these days I must go shopping. I am completely out of self-respect. I want to exchange the self-righteousness I picked up the other day for humility. They say it is cheaper and wears well. I want to look at some tolerance, which is being used for wraps this season. Someone showed me some pretty samples of peace. We're a little low on that. Never seem to have enough. And I must try to match some patience that my neighbor wears that is very becoming to her and might look nice on me. I want to try on that garment of long-suffering that they are showing. I never wanted to wear it, but I feel myself coming to it. And I must not forget to have my sense of appreciation mended and look for some everyday goodness. It is surprising how quickly my stock of that is exhausted. Now, what she read on that piece of paper over and over again, tucked into the pages of her Bible, is the same thing that Paul was doing in verses 12 to 14 of this passage. In this passage, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul said that you, just like your body wears clothing, your soul needs to wear certain characteristics and certain qualities. What are they? Six of them. Let's look at them. First of all, compassion. Paul said in verse 12, clothe yourselves with compassion. Wear about your soul a sympathetic spirit. The word compassion comes from a Greek, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, from a Latin word, actually a combination of calm and passion. Calm has to do with being with somebody. Passion has to do with your emotions. And so, so when somebody is upset, you're standing with them. That's what sympathy means. And we need to be able to have that in good stock. A perfect match to the fashion of compassion would be the garment of kindness. He uses the word kindness here. Uh, let these questions penetrate your heart. I read them in a book somewhere. Can your neighbors come to your house at any hour and know that you will help them? How long has it been since you had another family over for dinner? 
When was the last time you went to lunch socially with your coworkers? Can you think of something good right now about a person who irritates you? When was the last time you told your teachers or your coach that you appreciated their efforts? That's a question for high school students. What do you do on a regular basis to help a neighbor down the street from you? Can you think of one person who shared a problem with you this past week? And if not, what does that say about the kindness or lack of kindness that people see in us? How long is your prayer list? Have you added any specific request to your prayer list this week? Why not? Now, like I said, those questions came out of a book, but they're very convicting to me, and imagine they're convicting to you. They help us gauge uh, how worn out the garment of kindness might be on our shoulders. Uh, number three, the third item of clothing, the third garment, is humility. Plain but essential garment, humility. Humility is a very misunderstood virtue among Christians. Christians kind of only half listen when somebody's talking about humility, or they're only half paying attention and their Bible reading, and they run across that word humility, and they say to themselves, well, I guess that means that because I shouldn't think, of, uh, think much of myself, I should think little of myself. I guess that means that I shouldn't pursue the limelight, so I'll pursue obscurity. The only problem with that is the focus is still on you. And humility, in humility, you're not thinking of yourself at all. You're not thinking of whether your action or your choice or your activity brings you into the limelight or brings you into obscurity. You're, you're just focused on meeting needs. You're just focused on a need that you know you can meet. And you're oblivious to the fact of whether that'll bring you fame or obscurity. You're oblivious to the fact of whether that'll get you thanked and praised or whether somebody will completely overlook you. You have yourself off your hands. So it's not a matter of thinking little of yourself or too much of yourself. It's not a matter of seeking obscurity instead of the limelight. It's just getting yourself off your hands and focusing your attention on how you can meet the needs of someone else. How about the virtue of gentleness? This is the next uh, display in Paul's fashion show, gentleness. Now, the Greek word there is prautetā. It can be translated meekness, and a lot of our Bibles translated in that way. That word is such a stumbling block for so many people that sometimes the more modern word gentleness is a little easier for people to understand. It's not any easier to apply. It's not any easier to practice, but it is maybe easier for people to understand. Because the word meekness for a lot of people means somebody who's a doormat over which people walk. Somebody who always sort of gives in and lets everybody else, you know, have their way. And in some instances, that is an aspect of gentleness or meekness. But we need to understand what the word means. And, and in the, in the Greek-speaking world, they knew something about medicine. And they knew that if they combined certain ingredients together, they could create an ointment or a salve that could soothe or take the sting out of skin that had a, had a, a burn in the kitchen. And, and, and so they would refer to that ointment or that salve with the Greek word praoutes. Now, that's what you need to be. You need to be that salve to the stings and burns of daily life. The way you talk, the way you communicate, your attentiveness, just being present, should be a salve that takes the stings and burns out of daily life for other people. 
Here's another word Paul uses. He says that we need to wear a garment that doesn't wear out, and that is the garment of patience. Now, the word Paul used here was makruthumion. It comes from two Greek words, makro, which means long or great, thumos, where we get the word thermometer. It has to do with temperature. So you've heard of a short-tempered person. Somebody with makrothumia is a long-tempered person. This is somebody who doesn't fly off the handle. This is somebody who doesn't immediately blow up the moment they experience some frustration or some hindrance to the things that they want to do. Now, how, how do we do, how, how can we accomplish this idea of being a long-tempered person, a patient person? Well, this is one of the words that Paul expands upon here. Look at verse 13. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. Well, that's how you become a more patient person. Now, it's more rhythmic and more poetic in the King James Version. In the King James Version, it says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. We don't use the word forbear a lot today, but forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Forbear, forgive, forbear, forgive. These two things are like heartbeats. They're like breaths. When they stop, life stops. Now, of these two words, forbearance and forgiveness, one is a more difficult accomplishment. One is a more daily accomplishment. We talk a lot in the church about forgiveness, the importance of forgiveness, partly because it's so difficult to do. We can, we can hold on to a grudge. We can be unforgiving. But the more daily of these two is forbearance. You may very few times in your life need to forgive somebody. We, we need to save that word for more dramatic things. But every single day you come up against things that you have to forbear and not forgive. And we need to pay attention to that. The word forbearance, the Greek word we translate forbearance in Colossians 3.13, means to bear up. It means to hold up against something that is causing pressure. And so they would use that Greek word to speak of a fence that could bear up or hold up against cattle pressing against it. They would use that word to speak of a tree on the tree line up on the edge of a cliff, constantly facing the, 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 the buffeting winds, and that tree bore up against that constant blowing wind. And the Greeks would use that same word to, some, uh, to speak of somebody who knew how to bear up against the daily irritations and frustrations that come from just having roommates, just having marriage partners, just having teammates or, or band members in, in, in high school. We, we have to pay attention to being a more and more forbearing person as well as a forgiving person. And then finally, number six, Paul says, over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together. Now, in one sense, then, love is defined by and marked by and characterized by all these other things, compassion and humility and patience and so on. In another, uh, in another sense, though, you could understand that love is the fuel Love is the thing that makes all these other things possible. You're not going to last long trying to be a more compassionate person, trying to be a more patient person, unless you are fueled by, driven by this commitment to love. And so compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. How can you be more likely to start wearing that like clothing on your soul? Only if you pay attention, only if you bear in mind four things. So pay attention to these four things. I've shared them with you before. They all begin with the letter P. Fill them out on your notes. First of all, personality. 
you have to take into account someone's personality. Some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts. Some of us are night owls, some of us like to get up early and start the day early. Some of us get excited by change, some of us feel threatened by change. Some of us are more rational in our decision making, others of us are more spontaneous and emotional in, in, the, in the way we make decisions. We have to recognize the differences in each other's personality. And that can drive us crazy, but it can also enrich our lives. I've learned over the years that the, the fact that people aren't exactly like me, enable me to see things from a, from a different point of view, a different understanding. We need to understand that people have different personalities. Speaking about seeing things from different points of view, that is the next word, perspective. Perspective. There, you know, this life is a big life. This world is a big world. And if you're going to try to understand it just with your own set of eyes, you're not going to get very far. But if you work on kind of walking a mile in somebody else's shoes, you know, getting into somebody else's angle on things and looking at life from their perspective on things, your life is going to be greatly enriched. Number three, progress. I have to keep in mind another person's progress if I'm going to be more successful at wearing the kind of clothing that Paul talked about here. Sometimes parents of small children, we, we get so frustrated because it's been a long time since we remembered how difficult it was simply to tie shoes or get that zipper started on the jacket. Uh, we have a different, some of us are more advanced when it comes to our, our ability to communicate well with people. Some of us in our life groups, we're further along in terms of our understanding of the Bible than other people in the, in the group. If we take into mind where somebody is on their progress, we're going to be more likely to wear this kind of clothing like compassion and humility and patience with other people. And finally, the last word that begins with P, problems. Keep in mind other people's problems. You know, the Bible hints that we're going to know a lot more about each other in heaven than we do right now. And, and what that means is that in heaven, we're going to be absolutely astonished when we look back over somebody's life and realize that they had all kinds of stuff going on that we did not realize they had going on when we knew them. They were dealing with their parents' divorce, or they were dealing with their marriage partner's Alzheimer's diagnosis, or they were dealing with their adult child's poor decisions, or they were dealing with their shame, their unresolved shame, their fears, their regrets, so much about somebody else's behavior, so much about somebody else's choices, all springs from the problems that they're dealing with. And if we can keep those things in mind, we're much more likely going to be able to wear this clothing that Paul talked about and be more compassionate and kinder and more gentle and more patient as we deal with other people. So here are these must-have fall fashions, compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and love. But let's make sure that we are actually wearing these things instead of just saying we're wearing these things. Hans Christian Andersen told the story about a foolish king who was duped by a couple of con artists. They came into his presence pretending to be tailors. And they said that they were going to make a special garment if the king hired them. A special garment made out of a material that only the wisest and only the most worthy would be able to see. And they opened their bag and they pretended to bring out this long uh, bolt of, of this special garment. 
Well, the king didn't see anything. But he didn't want to be looked upon as somebody who wasn't wise and worthy. And so he hired the tailors to make him material out of this garment. They, made, they pretended to cut it. They made, pretended to sew it and stitch it all together. And they put it on his shoulders and put the royal garments all around him. And the king paraded proudly through the streets. Well, all his subjects could see was a silly-looking king in his underwear. But they didn't want to be looked upon as unwise or unworthy. And so they pretended to see what was not there. Except one little girl standing next to her farmer father who said, look, Daddy, the emperor has no clothes. We need to make sure that we are not singing about compassion and humility without actually showing compassion and humility. We need to make sure that as life group leaders and teachers, we need to make sure we're not just teaching about patience and forgiveness without showing patience or forgiveness. Because the reality is for a little while, we can surround ourselves with people who will tell us what's not actually there. And they will persuade us that we're actually compassionate, actually forgiving when we're not. But one day, some wise person is going to show up in our lives and say, that Christian has no clothes. We need to make sure then that these items of clothing that Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 3 are actually on our shoulders and around our waist. Now the only way that you're going to be able to fulfill this command with joy instead of with duty and drudgery is if you come to the divine tailor and ask him to clothe you. I want you to think about this. Jesus ended his life with nothing so that you might have everything. He was stripped of all clothing as he died on the cross so that you might be clothed with the riches of garments. And the only way that you're going to successfully fulfill these commands in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, is if you come to that divine tailor and start there and return to that touchstone throughout your life. You certainly need to start there. You need to start at the cross and you need to say, Jesus, I recognize that I have, in my relationships with others, I have not lived up to your expectations. Forgive me, cleanse me, make me new, and Jesus will do that. He will take away your failures, your flaws, your shame on the cross and make you a new person inside. But as, as we move along in the Christian life and we run across verses like this and we're convicted all over again that we're not as compassionate as we need to be, we're not as patient as we need to be, we're not as forgiving as we need to be, what do we do about that? We go back to the place we started, to the cross, and we ask the divine tailor to dress us. So let's do that now. With heads bowed in prayer and eyes closed, let's pray, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to make me clean, to make me whole. You were stripped of clothing and died naked on the cross so that I might be clothed with your righteousness. I thank you for that. And as I move through my life trying to be your follower, trying to obey your words, help me, Lord, when I fail to be compassionate, to not pretend to be. I don't have to pretend to be. I can come to you in repentance knowing that I am beloved, I am holy, I am chosen, 
as this, this passage tells me. And you will forgive me and restore me again. I don't have to pretend to be forgiving when I'm not. I have to come in repentance to you and ask that you will make me a more forgiving person. Because I'm accepted by you. And so I don't have to pretend that I'm the kind of person you want me to be. I know I'm not. And so I can come to you again and again and again and ask your forgiveness. Ask for a fresh start from you. And so Jesus, I come to you as the divine tailor. And I ask that you would help me to get dressed. There's work I need to do in the kingdom, but that involves being around imperfect people and people putting up with imperfect me. There, there, are, there are things that I need to do in my family, in my extended family, but it's only going to work if I'm more compassionate, more kind, more forgiving. There are things that I need to do at work or at school, but it's only going to happen if I put on this clothing that Paul is talking about here. So dress me, Jesus, for the days ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, The Storm Home. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.